Hello and welcome, webheads, to the Spectacular Spidercast, a bi-weekly Spider-Man comic recap show. I'm your host, Hunter Van Lair, but let's get on with the show. But first, I just want to say I got some feedback on the first episode from uh, one of my buddies, and he said to try dropping the news and just do, like, a recap of the comics. So episode two is just going to be a recap just to see, like, how that show plays off instead of, like, the news-based show and the recap. So I'm just going to do recaps of the comics that came out the week before and this week because I'm doing it bi-weekly now so I can always have a lot of books to talk about. So this is just going to be a recap show of the six titles that came out in the last two weeks. Plus I'll talk about the reprints that came out as well just to keep everybody got to keep everybody up on the know. So I guess let's start it up with uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 53.LR which came out last week. So um, this one is written by uh, Nick Spencer, who's been doing the other 50-plus issues of Spider-Man, and it's got Matt Rosenberg on it. Matthew Rosenberg's done a bunch of books. Most recently, he did some X-Men stuff, and now he's helping out uh, Nick Spencer with the LR stuff, just so Nick Spencer can focus on the main series. I think that's cool. So, the LRs are basically, like the dot .LRs, it means Last Remains. It ties to the Last Remains storyline that's going on right now with Kindred and Sin Eater from the previous uh, storyline. And now this, the last remains are like the side stuff. So when you read the main issues, you'll see Peter Parker and Kindred and Mary Jane doing stuff. But then in the side issues, you have Doctor Strange with all Spider-Man and Spider-Friends. And then you have Sin Eater with Moreland, who he just awoke and he's about to feed the spiders to. So, yeah, let's get into it. So Sin Eater opens up with these monologues uh, describing Moreland running in and killing the people he just turned into spiders. Feasting so Moreland and him can have a little conversation. After Moreland finishes eating, Sin Eater reveals himself, and they they give their little villain speech. He's like, I don't know who you are. He's like, well, I know who you are. I'm the, the champion of justice, you know, what Sin Eater does. So then they have a little scuffle, and uh, Sin Eater is out of his element. He didn't know how powerful Moreland was going to be. And I'm sitting there like, <laughs> Moreland goes toe-to-toe with Spider-Man, and he almost kills him like every time they fight. And you're going to tell me you didn't know he was going to be powerful after you just fed him? You should have fucking got him before he ate. Like, <laughs> how stupid can you be, dude? Anyway. So they have a little kerfuffle, and right as Moreland is about to kill Sin Eater, he, set, he pulls this string on this elaborate trap that has his shotgun tied up into the ceiling that shoots Moreland in the back with his Sin Eater beams. So now he just has to wait until to see if Moreland has a change of heart, which is what Sin Eater's whole deal is about. He has this new shotgun, which, would pow- which was powered by Kindred, and I don't know how this happens, because Kindred's got weird powers. And it's revealed that, like, if Sin Eater shoots someone with the shotgun, all their sins get absorbed into him, and he gets their powers. And then the guy that they, the, the people that uh, Sin Eater shoots become good. Like, all their sins are washed away, so they're trying to repent. It's very weird, very religious. It's kind of cool, though. So Sin Eater is now going to be on, like, Moreland-level strength. And maybe that's why he invited him to eat first. Then he can steal Moreland's power when it was at its peak maybe i don't know but i'm excited to see how sin eater still plays into the storyline even after the sins rising story is technically over this is gonna be fun so it jumps into um spider-man's astral plane where like it's basically like his nightmares um come to fruition and dr strange is there with all the spider people which is silk um arachne uh, miles morales spider woman madam web and spider gwen and he's just exploring um, Peter's nightmare escape, telling them that it's super dangerous to watch out and to fight evil. 
So we're going to have to split up to find whatever portal Peter used to get in and out of wherever he is. Because he's still also trapped in his mind. Because in the last issue, or the issue before that, um, Kindred kills Spider-Man to bring him into a dreamscape. But then he brings him back to life. It's really confusing. I can't wait till issue 55 to finally understand like what the fuck Kindred's plan is for Peter. Because I don't even know how Kindred became Kindred. It's very, like, not told. We were introduced to Kindred in Amazing Spider-Man number one from Nick Spencer. And 25 issues later, we figured out his name. Well, he told us his name. And then 25 issues later, now we get the reveal of who he is. And it's such a weird, like, reveal. I'm not going to spoil it here, unless I did in the last episode, in which case, whoops. But um, I'm not going to reveal who it is here. But it's just so weird and, like, out of place and uncalled for. So I want to see what Nick Spencer really has up his sleeve to see if, you know, we can figure it out. But it jumps to um, Madam Web and Spider-Gwen talking about how uh, Gwen didn't really agree with Peter's decision to throw Norman out of the plane. Not the plane, the uh, spider, the, the boat that they used to escape um, Ravencroft. So uh, Madam Web goes, well, I knew what he was going to do, but I couldn't tell you because then that would blah, 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 change fate, whatever. And Spider-Gwen's like, you suck. But um, they get attacked by this dude with a bunch of guns. And they can't figure out who it is. And they don't tell you, but I think it's the guy who killed Uncle Ben. That's just me. Just like a random street thug with guns. It's either that or Tombstone, but it doesn't look like Tombstone. So, And he's like this super horrified version. He's got like four arms and a bunch of guns with knives. And then he's jumping out and he's fighting these two. And then the other group, which is Silk, Spider-Man, uh, Arachne, and Spider-Man. And later on, Doctor Strange and Spider-Woman get attacked by um, a giant Stay Puft Marshmallow Kingpin. He's like size of buildings. So they fight that, they fight those two, Doctor Strange then comes up and blasts them, and then Miles tumbles into a hole that has a bunch of zombie Aunt Mays, because this is all Peter's, like, nightmares, like, his worst fears come to life, you know, like, uh, superimposing Kingpin takes over, Uncle Ben's killer is still on the loose, and uh, Aunt May dies, so he's, he's very, like, conflicted about all these things, he has a lot of nightmares, Peter's a kind of fucked up person, if you really think about it, Peter's in a monologue has to be, like, the worst, I would never want to be in his headspace. But anyway, like I said, Doctor Strange comes in and saves the day. And then Mary Jane pops out of the corner. And she turns into a horrifying devil creature. And then Doctor Strange tells the other guys to jump into the portal they found to go save Peter. While Doctor Strange handles the demons. Like the demon zombie uh, nightmares. Doctor Strange can handle it. He's he's chill. He's real chill. And then um, they uh, jump into the portal. And they are met at a graveyard. And Sin Eater is seen hiding behind a grave. So that is the recap for what happened in Spider-Man53.lr. I'm going to move on to um, Miles Morales now. Just give me one sec to pull it up. So Miles Morales issue 21, which is part of the um, the new Legacy. Not the new Legacy series, I guess, but like it still has Legacy numbering. But um, I don't think I talked about this one on the show yet. But uh, it, is, it is the conclusion to the Ultimatum Saga. And it's written by Salvin Ahmed with art by uh, Marcelo Ferreira. By the way, the art, oof. The Miles Morales art is always so good. It started off with uh, Sarah Pacelli, and now it just keeps getting better and better. They need to get some of these um, Miles Morales artists on the main Spider-Man book. Not that the main Spider-Man art is bad. We got, like, Patrick Gleason and Ryan Otley on it. But, like, oof. This art is clean in Miles' book. So if you don't know what's been happening with the uh, Miles Morales storyline, I will read you the little description. So, <clears throat> Miles Morales, a.k.a. Spider-Man, has faced some seriously scary supervillains lately, including Brooklyn's newest kitted-out crime lord, Ultimatum, 
who dealt drugs that turned people into goblinoids. Minions from the Green Goblin, which is the Ultimate Universe one, so he's like a big actual goblin that breathes fire. In the past, when Miles went up against Ultimatum and the Goblin, he experienced flashes of another place and time, which is um, the Ultimate Universe, which Miles doesn't know he's from, but he kind of knows he's from. It's very weird and confusing. During the Secret Wars event, he got brought over, um, and all of his side cast got brought over as well, due to uh, Molecule Man like f helping him out, because Miles is a good guy. Secret Wars is when Doctor Doom brought the Ultimate Universe and the 616 and smashed them together and was like, go fight! So... You know, whatever. So it turns out Ultimatum is also Miles Morales, the true Miles Morales of Earth-616. And he plans to send Spider-Man and his family back to the universe where they came from, which I think is 1610. Uh, but Miles won't go quietly, so him and his uncle Aaron, a.k.a. Prowler, uh, fighting off a goblin army, a goblin of, an army of goblinoids, ugh, I hate that, uh, when the cavalry arrived, which is led by Captain America. It's Captain America, it's, um... I think her name is Fled, not Fledgling, uh, Sparrow, Flyling, oh my god, now I feel like an idiot, I'll tell she's in the champion, Starling, uh, Starling, which is like, uh, Adrian Toomes' granddaughter, and then, um, uh, Boom, not Boom Boom, Bombshell, which is Lana Baumgartner, she's also in Champions, which we'll talk about later, so, uh, they just start fighting Ultimatum, and Ultimatum is, uh, like, like they briefly said before, he's Miles Morales from, or 616, but he's actually friends with Kingpin, and he's an adult, and he went to the Ultimate Universe to see where Miles was from. And he ended up getting a bunch of weapons from the Ultimate Universe. Like, he has Hank Pym's suit from the Ultimate Universe. He has Captain America's shield. He's got one of Iron Man's repulsors. So he's kitted out. And he's donned the name Ultimatum, which I think is pretty cool. So, Ultimatum, Captain America, and the guys are about to fight off with each other. And Cap is like, oh, and then uh, Miles' dad is here as well. He's a shield agent in this universe. Not a cop, like in the uh, comics, I mean in the movie. So, Captain America and Ultimatum are about to fight with Miles, and he sends his goblin army after him. So, um, it's just a nice big fight issue. Not a lot really happens, except for when, uh, like, the halfway point, so I'm going to kind of skim to that. So, Ultimatum and Spider-Man are just, show, uh, just flexing on each other, showing off the powers. Cap um, reveals to Miles... Like, hey, check out his right foot. He doesn't know how to use the... He's not used to being this size. So you can probably knock him on his ass if you hit him. So uh, Miles shocks his foot. He falls down. But then he shrinks. And then he delivers a gnarly uppercut. And it's just a nice little fight. You see um, Starling and Lana, uh, Bombshell, are having some nice quippy team-ups as they fight the Goblinoids. And then Prowler shows up and just wrecks ass. Prowler's great in this book. They really did him justice recently. I know um, Hobie Brown is a good prowler as well, but I think he died after uh, Clone Conspiracy, so we'll see if he comes back anymore. But Aaron Davis is the current prowler, and uh, oof, he's just nice. He's, he's like a good... He cost, His costume looks good. He's got a good relationship with Miles because it's uh, his uncle. So We then jump to this... Uh, you know that scene from uh, Civil War where Cap and um, Iron Man are fighting in like the dam or whatever? With the pillars. It kind of looks like this, but it's one of the um, like mausoleum monuments in uh, New York, in Brooklyn. Uh, Prospect, Par Prospect Park, specifically. But it, it kind of mirrors that scene where they're fighting in the shadows, and then all of a sudden the shield comes out of nowhere. It, it's a nice little homage. So then the Miles and Ultimatum are fighting each other, and then Prowler um, runs away from one of the big goblinoids, which looks like the main goblinoid. I just forget who it was in the 
like who the true Goblinoid is. Because in the books, it's, it's Norman. But I believe Norman's dead, and the Ultimate Universe didn't bring him over. So I think he's just a regular guy. So then we get um, Prowler and Miles chatting it out, and Miles is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop these guys. Like, they're super powerful, and they're strong, and, you know, we, we can keep fighting them. And then Prowler just goes, nah, uh, I know what to do. That device behind them that's going to transport us back to the world, I'm just going to go blow it up and transport Ultimatum, Goblin, and me into the other world, and hopefully that works. So he does it, much to Miles' um, like disagreeance. Big explosion happens at Prospect Park. And Uncle Aaron is now gone into the Ultimate Universe, or he's dead. It is not clear yet, but I think Saladin Ahmed will definitely keep us going on that Aaron storyline because Saladin has been doing a great job on the Spider-Man run. So it jumps to um, the Goblinoids shrinking down and becoming humans again, and Captain America and Miles have a good chat about sacrifice and stuff, and then Miles goes home to visit his baby sister and his family. And then he goes back to Prospect Park to pay respects to his Uncle Aaron, but he has no idea what's going on, like if he's alive or anything. It's very like nice, touching scene. I don't want to spoil too much of the dialogue, but it is very nice. And uh, this is why I like the relationship they have together. I think it's a nice, chill relationship. So, that was issue 21 of Miles Morales. The next issue looks like him and Starling are going to get some, uh, some quality romance time. But it's, it's super confusing because the next book we're going to get into is Champions number 3, which is Champions Outlawed. So in the Champions book, Kamala Khan gets hurt in one of the early issues or in the Outlaw one-shot. I forget which one. And Kamala's Law comes into effect where teenage superheroes, similar to the Superhuman Registration Act, have to give up their identities and then go to this like rehab center to like learn how to become better and like repent for their quote-unquote sins even though they're helping people they also get people in trouble like with like like uh, the new warriors think about it like that during civil war and speedball is a big part of helping that because he's like i saw what happens when kids superheroes don't check themselves you know so but during outlawed like it, it kind of supposed to run um it, like coincides with uh what's going on right now in all the marvel books for the teen heroes but like kamala khan is the only one that's truly affected by the outlawed storyline while Miles Morales is just doing his own thing. Like I said, he's fighting the Goblinoids. I think issue 22 has to tie into Outlawed to make any of this timeline bullshit make sense. Because even though like Marvel continuity has always been confusing, they've always had some through line you can kind of piece together. But this one's kind of annoying. So hopefully, you know, we'll see what's going on here. So anyway, Champions number 3, which is written by... E-viewing with art by Bob Quinn. It opens up with Bombshell from the Miles Morales issue. Laura, uh, Lana Baumgartner, or Baumgartner. She uh, is confessing and apologizing for what she's done as Bombshell. And then Speedball tells her that it's okay. Speedball's costume looks cool, by the way. And um, it's filmed in front of, like... It's filmed at their rehab center. And there's obviously some shady stuff going on with Cradle, is what it's called. And... Uh, you know, I, I don't trust it. I don't think a lot of people do. I know the Power Pack just recently got involved, so I probably cover their book at some point. I know it came out last week, but I don't know. I'm really only reading Champions, not because of the Outlawed event. I'm reading Champions because Miles is in it. Power Pack doesn't really have Miles in it, even though it's an Outlawed event. But I, Power Pack book was good, but I, I'm not going to read that one for the Spider-Man show. So, and then opens up with um, a news show with Silhouette and Jake O., Talking about um, Cradle as a whole and what the super and how it's related to the Superhuman Registration Act that happened back in Civil War. 
They both fight about it, and then it jumps to Cradle itself, where Snowbird, Starling, Locust, and um, Lana, Bombshell, are all uh, talking about how they don't want to be in this prison anymore, and they're they, what they were doing was good, and they never did anything wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then Lana shows up, and she's basically like the the linchpin to this whole cradle thing, where she's like, no, we have to repent, blah, blah, blah. And Fernando, which is Locust, is not having it. She's very upset. She's like, you're just a slave to what's going on. Like, you have no idea what's happening. Why are you acting like this? What do they do to you? And then Nadia's just sitting there like, maybe she does believe what's going on. She's like, I don't know. And then, oh, man. Nadia's cool. Nadia is um the wasp in the current timeline. I mean, Janet's still around, but Nadia Pym is Hank's uh, daughter from his first marriage. Hank's been getting around. So the um, Lana and Fernanda end up causing a fight in the cafeteria where Starling kind of handles the situation, but then kind of makes it worse. A bunch of guards show up and everyone gets taken away. Then it jumps to Elsewhere in America, where Viv Vision is in disguise, and she is on her way to Kansas because she read in a she saw in a book that um, a girl who needs to go on a journey who has a dog went to Kansas, which is um oh god, The Wizard of Oz, or it's a Superman reference. I think it's Wizard of Oz because that makes more sense because Toto and Viv always kind of sees herself as like lost in this world. But it always could be a Superman reference. You never know with how Marvel and DC kind of hate each other but love each other. I know Superman doesn't necessarily have a dog all the time, but I might be reading into it too much. Anyway, so she's um, wandering around Kansas, and she find, and she hears someone um, calling for help. She flies over through the cornfield to see this woman who needs power to her house because the transformer broke. But the only way for her to get the power fixed is to call somebody because she lives so far away. But since she can't call anybody because her phone is the only thing that's hooked up to the land, like she has a landline, so she needs help. Viv then flies up and fixes it. And this is in a world where the superheroes are, the kid superheroes are outlawed. But the old lady doesn't really say anything. And the old lady, um, like, hooks her up with food and is like, hey, uh, I know what you are. And Viv's getting all nervous. And she's like, no, no, no. She's like, you're a runaway. She's like, I was a runaway too when, you know, my family was, you know, up in arms and mad at me. So, you know, I, I feel your pain, but, you know, you just got to do what you got to do. And then Viv is just super conflicted on what she has to do personally because she's like, she, I think, I believe she's the one who caused this, so, um, the stuff in Outlawed. I'm not 100% positive. Outlawed came out, like, right before Pandemic hit or right when Pandemic hit, uh, right after all the books started coming back, like, June. So, I haven't read Outlawed number one in forever. Ever. I think we checked it out on our the comic book podcast I do with my co-host James from Android's Amazing Comics. You can go check that out at Android's Amazing Podcast. It's an episode. They're all in the description of the books we talk about. You can go back up into the um, the description and check out what book we were talking about. I think it was back in June, probably episode 50-something. But uh, anyway, it then jumps to Miles uh, Riri and uh, Nova, which is Sam Alexander. And Kamala, as they're running away from Cradle and Shield and just trying to survive, as they're like, Miles has his own, like, little log, like, day four of us running. You know, like, his edgy monologue, where he's like, I don't think we can do it anymore. Every day we're going to get caught. Somehow they always know where we are. I think one of them's a secret double agent. But they all make pretty good cases, especially Nova. But Nova might be the one who's, like, low-key against them, because Nova's always got weird ulterior motives. Sam Alexander's a very conflicted character. And, like, because you don't want it to be Kamala. 
because she's the whole reason everything's happening. It's definitely not Miles because of his inner monologue. So it's either Riri or Nova. But what I think it is is they put a chip in Kamala after they like she got knocked out and she got really hurt. I think they put a chip in her and they're able to track her somehow. If it's not a chip, they're just able to track her. That's going to be a huge invasion of privacy situation that they'll talk about later. But there is going to be this uh, huge conflict that comes to that. If it's revealed that there's a traitor or if it's revealed that they're being tracked via Kamala, it's going to be a huge revelation, which I think is going to be cool. And hopefully that shows that, um, what's it called? That uh, Cradle is not necessarily the best kind of people. Anyway, so like I said, they're being tracked and they show up. Oh, they're sleeping at this random kid's treehouse because this random kid was like, oh, I know you guys, I'm going to protect you. But then uh, Cradle shows up and all the champions that are remaining jump down to try to fight them because they're like, they're not, we're not going down easy. He's like, we're going down, we're going down with a fight. All of a sudden, we see a laser shoot down from the sky and Cyclops appears with uh, dust from the X-Men. And he goes, by the orders of the sovereign nation of Krakoa, I grant asylum to these individuals. They are refugees in their own homeland, fugitives from an unjust law. He's like, if you want to fucking test me, you're going to go at war with the mutants, you sons of bitches. They are free to go. So Cyclops is basically going to take these guys away and keep them on Krakoa for a little bit because we do know that Cyclops has all his memories from when he was a child, when he joined the champions, after he left X-Men for that brief period of time, back when the champions book first relaunched. And then they have like this touching scene in uh, War of the Realms where Cyclops is like, no, I remember everything that happened. Like, you know, you guys are still my friends, even though for you it was like an, a, a year ago. For me, it was like 25 years ago. But still, like, I thought that was really cool. So the next issue, on the cover, it show on the cover, on the uh, preview for the next issue, it shows young Cyclops, and they're going on a swashbuckling adventure, but I think it's just a nice image to use, because like, oh, Cyclops is back, but we see at the end of this one that it's the adult Cyclops. So unless they're going to be like, unless Gene or Professor X is going to make them see who they want in their head, it's just a weird cover image to show. But I think it's going to be cool. The Outlaw event is kind of interesting with all the Teen Outlaw stuff, kind of happened right at the end of Civil War, like I said before. But it's a good issue. Uh, I think in the last episode I started rating issues, but I'm not going to do that. This is just a good one. All these are good. I'm not going to say a book is bad, honestly. I don't know why I was rating them before. We rate them on our uh, regular comic book podcast because we review like new number ones and talk about like if it's new reader friendly, if it's like a sequel series, but you know not a new like not number six, but it's like number one. So you know it, it's we'll get different reviews on that one. But, uh, so that was Champions number three. Next up, we have Atlantis Attacks, which ties into King and in Black, but not until the very end, similar to Union. So I'm not going to, um, it's only Atlantis Attacks number five, by the way. Uh, so I'm going to cover King and Black last, because, um, you're supposed to read these first before you, um, check out King and Black. So, in Atlantis Attacks number five, I'll, it is written by Greg Pack with art by Robert Gill and Ario and DTO. I'm going to give you a quick description of what's going on. Um, Michael Nguyen's portal city of Pan, along with allies uh, the Cyrenians, are on the brink of war against Namor and Atlantis. Only the agents of Atlas, old and new, led by Jimmy Woo and Amadeus Cho, have powers to stop it. Amadeus tries, is tired of being a pawn for Atlas's mysterious endgame, and there's very little trust holding the teams together. Both Nguyen's used um, Serenia tech to seize control over Amadeus. The Hulk has been unleashed once more. So Amadeus uh, goes by Braun now. He was on the Champions before, but he's on Age of Atlas right now. 
and uh, he can still Hulk out. Right now, he's like in the Amadeus Cho is like five two. He's like a, he's like a manlet, and what he can do is he can sh- bulk up to about like six feet tall, probably, and then be Hulk, be brawn. And then if you unleash his inner rage, he becomes the Hulk. So it's kind of like a two step program. So um, this is the conclusion to the Atlantis attacks storyline where a bunch of pan-Asian characters and minority characters are um, stuck on this, uh, like, this super archipelago of Pan. And it's just um, Hulk smashing a lot of stuff, going against his team, with um, Nguyen kind of controlling him with this device on his chest. And not really a lot happens that ties into what we're going to talk about, so I'm kind of going to skip it. I just realized Silk is in this, so I should have been talking about it before, but Atlantis Attacks was on hold until this issue came out anyway, so... Whoops, my bad. I forgot Silk was in this one. But anyway, so we see um, Atlantis with Wave and Arrow talking to Namor. Like, hey, man, you got to chill. Like, stop attacking us. We're not the bad guys here. Pan is. Like, we got to team up to stop Nguyen. Nguyen's got some evil stuff going on. He made Amadeus a bitch. So it's kind of cool to see um, they finally resolve their differences and they're all teaming up against Hulk and Nguyen to, you know, kind of rescue Amadeus' mind. So as they're fighting... um. I believe, what's his face? Not Swordmaster. Oh, yeah, no, Swordmaster and Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi takes the device off Amadeus' chest while shooting out of the water sneakily. And uh, Amadeus reverts back to his brawn form. And then all of a sudden, um, this huge wave starts to come. And uh, Wave, Arrow, and Namor have to stop it because they're the water-based and uh, elemental-based people. And they're also protecting all the civilians in the town. Hulk finally hulks out on his own punches the wave he fucking gives it a big old punch he gets washed up and then all of a sudden some dragons start to attack which is what ties it into king and black so king and black um namor is going to be the continuation of the agents of atlas storyline and uh yeah sorry if that was kind of a really rushed um issue for this but i this is issue five in a four in a five issue miniseries and i didn't cover the first four at all like, I understand, like, I didn't cover 21 issues of Miles Morales, but you kind of know who he is. With all this, it's kind of weird to talk and confusing to talk about. But this is only the, the tie-in is literally the last page of King and Black, of, uh, Into King and Black. So I didn't want to go too hard into, like, the spoilers for this book, necessarily. But, um, like I said, King and Black is started. And now we're going to jump into our official first actual crossover title, The Union, which was supposed to come out during Empire, but that got delayed because of COVID and all the books and stuff. So the Union was now changed from an alien invasion of Empire from the Scrolls and the bad guys, whatever they were called. They were weird, like, celestial tree people to um, the Kingdom Black Null stuff. It's the same exact, like, concept. It's a, like, it's either Great Britain or England. I forget what sovereign nation they are in this one. They're, uh... It's their X-Men, basically. It's five people. It's Union Jack and then four new characters, which I'll get to when they get discussed, uh, teaming up to do the do and fight off um, threats that are in um, the UK, one of which being Null. So The Union is written by Paul Grist with art by Andrea DeVito, and Paul Grist also helps a little bit on the pencils, it says. So this one, again, similar to... um, Atlantis Attacks, the, only the last two pages are tied into King of Black at all. This is just a setup book. Like I said before, it was supposed to be tied into Empire, but it was also just supposed to launch a new team. 
So this is a very team-launching, meet-the-new-characters-see-what-they-do, here-they-are kind of propaganda-style introduction, where Union Jack meets them all for, like, the first time. Other names are Britannia, which is the chick with the sword and the shield. Um, Kelpie, which I believe is the chick with the pink hair. Choir, which is the one with the mask on. And then Snakes, which is the big dude. Uh, I'll go into further detail once I get down to that part when we fully get into their powers because it's still a little confusing on what they do because issue one really doesn't have much besides the Union Jack and the King of Black stuff. So it opens up with Union Jack talking about what he's been doing recently and like how these like new heroes are going to be teaming up with him soon. And uh, he's just trying to escape this castle and run away from whatever he's, whatever's chasing him. It looks more like a training exercise, like he's testing out all the powers of the uh, new characters. And um, all of a sudden, Britannia attacks him. And uh, she's kind of like Captain Captain America makes with Captain Britain. And I mean the, the Betsy version, because she's uh, got the cape and everything. And she shows up, and she's just kicking his ass. And then Union Jack makes it there, and... Um, He's like, bonuses for everyone. And you kind of, you gotta love Union Jack. He gets shafted a lot in the storylines, but he's really cool. He's basically just Captain America if he was um, over in the UK. Kind of like uh, Captain, I want to say Captain Canuck, but not that one. Uh, Guardian, who's over in um, Alpha Flight. Not Guardian. Um, yeah, no, Guardian. Anyway, so it introduces you to the new characters and tells you kind of what their powers are. Choir can make people... Um, like hear things and like amplifies sound and stuff. Kelpie can control water and snakes. Uh, he speaks like through telepathy or something like that, but he's very intimidating. He's like seven feet tall and his name being snakes. I'd like to assume he's like a giant snake man. So I think that's kind of cool, but they don't reveal who it is. And then all of a sudden they get attacked by a giant null dragon in the sky and uh, Britannia fights it, but then gets pierced in the chest and it looks like she's going to die. And it looks like she does die. And then uh, as the Union Jack turns around, he sees a bunch of um, nullified agents and they're about to attack him. So the rest of the uh, remaining Union turn around to fight. And the reason why I say Britannia is probably not dead is because she's on the cover of the next issue. So, But she could be dead. It could just be like, we didn't want to spoil it in the solicits. But uh, so that was the Union. Again, I know I rushed through that one, but not a lot of it was tied to King and Black until the end. I didn't really want to go full spoilers on a series I'm not personally reading fully. I don't plan on reading, um, I mean, I'm going to read it for the show, obviously, anything that ties to King and Black, but I'm not going to, like, give it a full-on, like, comprehensive study like I do with, like, Spider-Man and stuff. So, finally, let's move on to the big issue of the week, the one you guys have all been waiting for, King in Black number one. So Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman have been building up this huge villain in the Venom storylines called Null. He's the god of the symbiotes. He is like the original OG motherfucker of space. And he is ready to take everything down. He finally found uh, Eddie and Dylan and he's coming to Earth to take shit over himself. So this is going to be some crazy ass storyline stuff. It opens up with uh, Eddie Brock standing on a roof. Calling all the, because uh, all the stars are gone, uh, which we learned in Venom Beyond. He's calling all the Avengers into place, talking to Tony, talking to Cap, and he's bringing Dylan down into a bunker to keep him safe because he knows Nola's going to try to get after him if uh, Eddie fails. He jumps to Avengers Mountain with Cap, She Hulk, uh, Iron Man, and Captain Marvel all hanging out, talking about how they're going to try to use some Kree ships from Empire to stop 
uh, not Kree ships, um, Kree scrolly ships to stop the Null Dragons from piercing Earth's barriers. That doesn't work for very long. They get a good bunch out of the way, but then still some are able to breach the atmosphere. So they send in, like, Plan B, like the ground team, which is, like, it's just every superhero. They basically call everybody into play with Wave 1 being magic and lightning-based weather heroes that, like, Doctor Strange and uh, Lightning, who can... Cause, like, they know Null's weaknesses is Lightning. Because he's, he's not just, like, a... Cause the, so, so Venom is weak to, weak to sound and fire and sometimes electricity, but it looks like Null specifically throughout the 30 or so issues that Donny Case has been bringing him around. Null is only weak to, like, lightning and potentially magic, so they can just get everybody they can. And then... Charles Xavier shows up, fucking big dick swimming, swinging. He goes, this is Charles Xavier. If backup is required, please stand by. And then all of a sudden, the X-Men show up, and they are just wrecking house. They are punching these dragons. Wolverine is, like, literally just punching these dragons in the face. And then Storm is shooting up lightning in the sky because, again, the thunder and the lightning is what hurts uh, the, the, the nullified symbiotes. Venom then gets to the chair that was left over by Carnage during the Absolute Carnage event. Because he's trying to telepathically connect to uh, the dragons to try to take them over and fight Null. And also broadcast his um, presence to Null. So Null can come after him instead of fighting all the other heroes. Um, so as he does that, Tony looks up in the sky and sees that Null has arrived, but he brought with him the Celestials. These huge hulking figures that were the original villains to the symbiotes way back in the day. I think they talked about it in um, either Empire's End or... One of the other Web of Venom storylines. And Null is just coming in a wreck house. He has this huge shit-eating grin on the cover of issue of the A cover for issue one. Goddamn. Null is the definition of a shit-eating grin. He is a badass motherfucker and he knows it. It is ridiculous. I'm sorry if I'm going a little overboard with the uh, cursing about Null, but Null is an OG. So he shows up and Tony and Captain America have this plan. They're like, all right. You're going to show up to our planet. We're going to drop the big guns on you. And at first, you think the big guns is going to be like Hulk or Thor. But no. Donny Cates has been teasing Century's return forever. Donny Cates is a big Century fan. For those of you who don't know, Century is basically Superman, but yellow. That's about it. And then also, he's uh, further on storylines explain that he's got this evil inside him called the Void. That if released, could like potentially destroy a lot of stuff. And that was very that was seen a lot in the Century miniseries, which was written by Jeff Lemire that came out, I want to say, two years ago. Really good storyline, by the way. And that's where he becomes, like, the Red Century with the red costume, which I don't know how he changed his cost, like his hair color and his costume instantly. But whatever. We, we don't have to talk about that. It's comic books. So they send Century down. Century instantly flies into one of the Celestials' heads, killing one of the three that show up. Uh, Null gets a little pissed off. Century then flies him up into space. And Sentry's like, all right, you can call me Sentry. This will all be over in a second. And Null goes, yeah, is that true? Ugh. Null just rips Sentry in half in the style that uh, Sentry ripped Carnage and Ares in half back in the old, old days. An absolute Carnage to get, um, the, the, they needed to get Cletus Cassidy's spine out of the symbiote to stop everything that's happening. So they sent Sentry down and they just, boof, ripped his spine out. Now Null shows up and he's like, <laughs> no. He rips um, Sentry and Twine and just, oof, it is phenomenal. Ryan Stegman really does a great job with his artwork on this. Like, oh, this, it's kind of like a half splash, 
and it is just so good. You see, like, entrails in the void and, like, tendrils shoot out of Sentry. It's just super cool. Uh, Iron Man, Captain America, and Eddie are like, oh, shit, that was our dude. That was the big guy. What are we going to do now? We're all fucked. Noel then shoots down, and um, he rains symbiotes down on everybody who can't fly away. So characters like Spider-Man and Storm and Iron Man are able to fly away and go get help while the ground-based heroes are all about to be sucked up by the symbiotes. Null then covers the Earth in a symbiote dome, and Eddie goes, all right, I'm going to go give him what he wants. I'm going to go give him me. I'm going to go get Null. So he goes up to Null, and Null goes, you think I wanted you? You think I wanted this Brock? Nah, I'll take Venom back. I'm going to drop you off a building. So the issue ends with Null stealing Eddie's symbiote and dropping him off one of the highest buildings in New York. I don't think it's Empire State, but it's one of them. And uh, yeah, that's where it leaves off. We have Eddie falling to his death as Null is going to go with the Venom symbiote, go hunt down Dylan, who's in a bunker, I think, in uh, one of the shield bases or in Avengers Mountain. I forget specifically where it is. They mentioned it in the issue, but I'm not going to go back and read that. It's like 20 pages ago. But... That is what happens at the end of King and Black, and it is teed up for the next couple issues. And then um, this also gives you a nice little timeline in the back of the um, book of like you know everything that's gonna happen with like heirs to the throne and how many times Null has appeared and how Eddie stopped him every time. And then it gives you a little checklist in the back. If you go to the checklist, it does say King and Black is the first issue you're supposed to read. But like I was reading before, Atlantis Attacks in the Union makes more sense if you read them first because you get a feel of what the characters are, you get a feel of what they're doing, you get to finish up the Atlantis Attacks storyline, and then you get to hop into the uh, King of Black stuff right in the last couple pages fresh. And it's cool, like, if you're reading Atlantis Attacks and you don't read King of Black number one first, you read Atlantis Attacks and all of a sudden a symbiote dragon shows up, your jaw is just like, oh shit, King of Black's going off, this is about to hit. Same with reading The Union. You're just reading this book about these UK superheroes, and they're all teaming up, and they're getting to know each other, and all of a sudden, Big Black Dragon shows up. Then you read King and Black, and you're like, oh, shit, here we go. I understand if you read King and Black first, you see what's happening, but you don't get to fully see everything, because at the end of King and Black, like I said, Null puts a dome of symbiote over the Earth. No one else reacts. Like, Atlantis attacks, and The Union don't react to the dome over the Earth right at the end. So that's why I said read uh, these two first also read daredevil number 25 before you read king and black because there are minor spoilers for daredevil 25 daredevil 25 came out this week as well so be warned anyway guys that has been the show that was the recap of the comics but first i'm going to talk about the reprints that came out for the issues before i finally give you guys a big old close so the reprints for the week's that I talked about these books were Champions number one got a second print. Uh, one of the true believers, Iron Man Doctor Doom number one came out, which ties into the King of Black the Iron Man Doctor Doom one shot. That is Iron Man number 149, Doom Quest. True believers, King of Black Franklin Richards number one, which was uh, Fantastic Four 245. True believers, King of Black Black Cat number one was Amazing Spider Man 194. And then Marvel Tales Null number one, which reprints Venom 3 and 4. Web of Venom, Carnage Born, and Venom 25, which is all the important Null stuff. So it reprints all those and gives you all the information on Null you need in the Marvel Tales, which is what Marvel Tales usually does. It gives you like a recap of who the character is, shows you their best storylines. So 
That was the weekly releases and the reprints. If you guys like this format of the show better, where I don't talk about news and jumble it up, and I just talk about recaps of whatever books came out in the last two weeks, definitely give uh, like definitely let me know. Give me a shout out. Whatever you guys want to do to keep me posted. This has been the episode two of the Spectacular Spider Cast experiment. We're gonna see how long this goes and see like how this changes over time. I might even get a co-host. I, I, I don't know. You know, if someone wants to read Spider-Man books with me, definitely let me know because we could talk about the weeklies and then we could talk about like one graphic novel we like, you know what I mean? Like back in the day or something like or, or like a Spider-Man blue, something like that. So definitely let me guys know. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. This has been the show. Uh, let me know what you think. This is an ever-changing show and it's always up for pointers. You can follow me on Instagram at Scruffy Mooseman. Uh, stay tuned every other Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next episode of The Spectacular Spider Cast. Thank you guys so much and bye bye.